Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Indians 4, the Detroit Tigers 1. The Indians even up their record on the season. They are now 3-3. Three and three. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And before we get into it, before we get into the storylines, if you're enjoying the show, please help it grow by leaving a rating and a review on whatever app you are listening on, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. Help the show grow by letting people know what it's all about and how much we love baseball here on Cleveland Baseball Mornings. And it's been great. We've gotten all five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you're enjoying the show, keep the momentum going. Spread the word. Let's get Cleveland Baseball Mornings as one of the top baseball podcasts on Apple Podcasts. That'd be awesome. I appreciate everyone listening. I appreciate everyone that's been interacting on Twitter during the games. Early in the season, I've been able to kind of live tweet during the games. It's been fun. We've had some fun conversations on there. So uh, check us out if if you want to get in on the conversation during the games. So... uh, Let's get into the storylines. Let's dig into it. Let's talk about this win for the Indians to start the home series against the Tigers. The rematch, running it back against the Tigers. It was supposed to be the same pitching matchup. It was supposed to be Plesak against Julio Tehran. But Tehran felt uh, tightness in his uh, tricep while he was warming up. So it turned into a bullpen game for the uh, Tigers. And uh, it's a good thing they have Michael Fulmer out there, a former starter who can go four innings for them. Uh, It still did not work out in their favor because the Indians did something that we've been waiting for them to do all season. They hadn't, well, they did it last Sunday, but they had an honest-to-God rally. They They had a real rally to start the game, a first inning rally, which other teams had been doing against us. They'd been putting up crooked numbers in that first inning, and we finally did it to somebody else. Didn't it make the whole game just feel better? Didn't it change your entire perception of the game? I mean, we don't do anything from the third inning until the sixth inning, but it just felt better. It felt to be up three nothing to start the game, right? It was just a breath of fresh air, right? So, uh, how did the Indians do it? Well, they did it with Vermeil Reyes. That's how they did it. <laughs> the last game against Kansas City, it was all Jose Ramirez. This game, it is all for Mio Reyes. He has two monster home runs, absolute monster home runs. And the Indians, uh, that's all the offense they needed. So uh, let's look at it a little bit here because it is interesting. So his first home run comes off of Derek Holland. His second home run comes off against Michael Fulmer. And the pitching matchups are actually drastically different. So in his matchup against Derek Holland, well, let's set the stage first, right? How did this how did this inning get kicked off? Well, it got kicked off with an Amon Rosario single. Singles to lead off the game, something that has not happened for the Indians yet this season. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's the first base runner to start the game for the Cleveland Indians. So, uh, yeah, Ahmed Rosario gets to start in center field and uh, gets things going with that hit. Then uh, it's not going well for uh, for Cesar Hernandez. It's it's not. He's hitting now 0-9-1 with a 367 OPS. It's not 
it's not the start to the season that Cesar Hernandez wanted. But Jose Ramirez comes up. He shoots one up the middle that actually rockets off of the uh, rockets off of the bag at second base. It hits the bag. It was 108.1 exit uh, exit velocity, 101, 108.1 miles per hour exit velocity. Hits the bag at second base, shoots over the infielder's head, and uh, Ahmad Rosario goes all the way to third. We got runners on first and third. Eddie Rosario then grounds into a force out. It could have been a double play, but Eddie Rosario hustles down to uh, first base. He beats the throw by a step, and uh, Ahmad Rosario comes in to score the first run, and that brings Fermil Reyes up. So that's where we're at. So the Indians have been hitting them hard, right? They've been really hitting them hard, and Holland, and now it sets the stage for Fermil Reyes. So the Indians already have one across. You think, could they add more? Could they do more? It felt like getting one across in the first inning was a huge win, was a huge mountain to climb. Holland throws him all fastballs. Well, he doesn't throw a fastball. He does. He throws a sinker. That is, that's his like go-to pitch is the sinker. So he he throws the sinker at 94, 93 miles per hour. Uh, he did throw him one fastball, and that was at 93 miles per hour. So he's basically throwing it like a fastball. And he's throwing it in and tight to Fermil Reyes, way up in under his hands. And uh, the first one is in the zone. The next two are actually out of the zone. He throws them high and tight out of the zone, and he lays off them. He throws him a four-seam fastball that was way at the top of the zone, and I mean right in the top left corner of the zone, and he swings through it, can't catch up to it. But then he puts one a little bit lower. He goes back to the sinker and leaves it a little bit lower in the zone, and Fermil Reyes absolutely cranks it to left field over the big wall in left field. And I was, I was stunned. I mean, Holland's a lefty, so his breaking stuff would have broke in on Fermil Reyes. But the fact that he didn't go for a changeup, he didn't go for anything on the outside edge of the plate. The goal was to not let Fermil Reyes extend his hands, right? You hear that sometimes with these big right-handed hitters, right? A Pujols or a Miguel Cabrera or now Fermil Reyes. Don't let him extend his hands. Well, he had the bat speed to catch up to this inside sinker. And he just plants it in the bleachers in left field. And no doubt about his shot. And the whole crowd at Progressive Field was on their feet and pumped and ready to go. It's the spark that they needed uh, last night to enjoy that game, to really get up for that game. So, yeah, so interesting pitch mix there. All right, now let's move a few innings. Let's see what Michael Fulmer does pitching against uh, Fermil Reyes. Fermil Reyes did single in between these at-bats, and uh, the Indians do nothing. In between his single and then his next at-bat, the Indians get set down in order. So he comes up again. The game has really stalled out at this point. I mean, Plesak is cruising. The Indians are cruising on their 3-0 lead. It feels like that's all the Indians are going to need. It's all they did need, but it gets fun with a great at-bat. In the, uh, I believe this is in the sixth inning against Michael Fulmer. And this time, Fulmer learned his lesson, and he is going away. So starts him off with a slider way, way down and away. Actually comes back 
Fulmer was working to both sides of the plate. Comes back with a sinker on the inside edge that Fermil Reyes follows off. Throws him a changeup way inside, way too far inside, that he also fouls off. So now he's down in the count. He's down in the count one and two, and you're thinking, okay, here comes the breaking ball down and away. Here it goes, the Fermil Reyes strikeout pitch. Here it comes, throws him the slider, probably threw it too far out of the zone. Reyes spits on it. That's what we're talking about, that pitch recognition, to know not to swing at that pitch, to know what they're going to try to do. So next pitch is a sinker. That pitch he throws up at the top of the zone, and he's able to foul it off, protecting the zone maybe. you know, Maybe he thought he could catch up to that high pitch, but either way, he protects. It's still a 2-2 count, and he throws him a four-seam fastball. After all those sliders, he throws him a four-seam fastball, 94.9 miles per hour, and he unloads on this ball to center field. 111.5 exit velocity on that pitch, launch angle of 22 degrees, and a distance of 446 feet to dead center field. Put it out in Heritage Park. I was even joking on Twitter. He was just marking the spot where his plaque will eventually go in Heritage Park. So yeah, one of the biggest home runs, one of the longest home runs uh, in recent history in progressive field. Uh, I looked it up, and of course, you're going to remember. Do you remember who the longest home run in progressive field is? It was a Cleveland Indian. I'll give you that much. I think you can guess who hits prolific home runs in Cleveland Indian history. Um, Jim Tomey actually has a lot of the top five. He has the number five off of Detroit in 99, 478 feet. Uh, Tomey then goes 479 feet off of Houston in uh, in year 2000 uh, off of Wade Miller. Uh, Manny Ramirez, when he was playing for Boston, went 481 feet off of Cliff Lee. Mark McGuire, you'll never forget his shot off of Oral Hershiser, 485 feet. That's the one that hit the Budweiser sign. And then Jim Tomey with the longest home run in Indians history, 511 feet to dead center field. It actually bounces and lands on Eagle Avenue. As Tom Hamilton called it, Jim Tomey has just left Jacobs Field onto Eagle Avenue. And uh, it's one of the longest home runs in baseball history. It was uh, in 99 against Kansas City off of Don Wingert. I don't remember that guy at all. So, yeah, Tommy, Tommy definitely uh, has the longest home run in progressive field, Jacobs Field history. Uh, in recent history, uh, like in the StatCast era, they've been, they've been tracking them. And in the StatCast area, it's actually Candelario from Detroit. Hit one 467 feet in 2019. So this is in recent history. Mondesi from Kansas City hit one 458 feet last year. Bobby Bradley, if you remember his huge smash from 2019, went 457 feet. Lindor did one in 2017 that went 456. Alex Gordon from Kansas City went 455 in 2015 right as StatCast was first starting tracking this stuff. And uh, Carlos Santana and Roberto Perez have both put one out at 447 feet. So this would come in right behind them. So yeah, 446 feet in recent history. This is up there with the big ones. And they asked him after the game, like, uh, 
Andre Knott asked him, what did it feel like to hit a home run like that? And he said it felt like nothing. He, when it hits the sweet spot of the bat like that, it's so smooth. It's so perfect. And he's like, I, it didn't feel like anything. Uh, so, yeah. So, that was awesome to see. For Mil Reyes, taking Michael Fulmer deep like that. Now, here's some fun. Ready? Ready for this? Of all of the hardest hit balls yesterday, Fermil Reyes had two of the top five. The Tigers actually got a couple of hard hit balls yesterday. Jose Ramirez's single was actually the fifth hardest hit ball. So, yeah. So, two of the top five, probably three of the top six. So, I'm going to give you the exit velocities here. Fermil Reyes had one that was 111.5. Fermil Reyes had another one that was 112.2. And his he had another one that was 103.3 exit velocity. Now, if you had to guess between the 103, the 111, and the 112, he had two home runs and a single. Which do you think was the hardest hit ball of the day? That's right. It's a single in the third inning. The single in the third inning, 112.2 exit velocity. So that's fun. That's just, that's fun. You would think these big home runs sometimes are the hardest hit balls of the day. Nope. Sometimes it's just a single. Sometimes it's a line drive up the middle. Sometimes it's a ground ball. That's the hardest hit ball of the day. So yeah, so that was the first storyline. Big for me, Reyes, getting it done. Uh, the next storyline goes to Zach Plesak. Pitched fantastic. Uh, let's look at the pitching matchups. So Plesak goes seven innings, three hits, no earned runs, no walks, six strikeouts, and uh, on 97 pitches. So a pretty good start from him. They do credit the Tigers with six hard-hit balls against him, but obviously not much damage there. Brian Shaw comes in. He pitches the eighth, and... Uh, I don't think it was technically a setup role. At that point, the Indians had a four-run lead, so you're not leading into a save situation here. So they figured, let's get Brian Shaw some work. Some of these guys have barely pitched to start the season. They were talking about that on the broadcast a little bit, that some of them were throwing bullpen sessions just to stay loose. Uh, So Brian Shaw goes in an inning. He does give up the solo home run to Wilson Ramos. And... uh, He's able to settle in, though. He's able to settle in. He gets two strikeouts. He also walks somebody. I think he gave up the home run and then the walk, but he's able to get two strikeouts and get out of the eighth inning. And then Class A comes in, gets the save in the ninth. He has a nice clean inning, two strikeouts on only 14 pitches, a very efficient work. So how did Plesak do it? What was his pitch mix? What was he doing to these hitters for, uh, for the Tigers? Well, he actually threw a lot of sliders. Not an atypical amount of sliders, just was really working the slider really well. Got seven whiffs on the slider, three called strikes. He had a 42 CSW percentage on his slider. His CSW on the day was 36, which is really good. League average has been coming in around the 30%. Um you know, from what they've been tweeting out on Twitter, Alex Fast actually on Twitter tweets that out all the time. Uh, the leaderboard for CSW. He's one of the guys who wrote the article that made it really popular or made it an interesting stat that people are following. So, yeah, 42% though on the slider. Definitely his most effective pitch of the day. And 
He was using that slider. Let's take a look at the illustrator over here on Baseball Savant. He was using that uh, very effectively down in a way. Obviously, the slider, he didn't throw many backdoor sliders is what I'm trying to say to the lefties or, you know, inside sliders on any righties. He was really keeping it down in a way for him as a right-handed pitcher coming across the zone as from the catcher view landing in the bottom right of the zone. So that's really tough. He's breaking it in on lefties, and he's pulling it away from righties, and they really struggled with it. Uh, looking at the results, the pitch results here, give me one second to flip over to that. It was kind of an interesting mix, mix on his strikeouts. They were, they were kind of all over the place. They were actually a lot of four-seam fastballs up. Uh, only one slider down and away got him a strikeout. So, yeah, so a lot of them were actually up. So he'd work them down, he'd work them down, and then he'd bust them up with some fastballs to get the strikeout. A couple of high sliders, too. Interesting result mix there. You would expect all the sliders down and away to be where he got the strikeouts. But, no, it, it was mostly stuff that was up. So, yeah, let's dig in more to Zach Plesak. There's more to see here. Let's look at, we're back over on fan graphs now, and we're taking a look at his game log, comparing it to last game. What went differently, right? The loss that he took in his first start against the Tigers versus this one. Well, he goes an inning deeper in the game. I'll tell you that much. Uh, doesn't give up the walks this time. He gave up two walks last time. Ups the strikeouts from four to six. So that's good to see. The bat bip. The bat bip is something we've talked about before in this show. Batting average falls in play. So this is, are you inducing weaker contact? Are you getting them to hit it at guys, right? More, uh, are they getting a little lucky and hitting the gaps on you, uh, seeing eye grounders? That's all factored into bat bip. The bat bip against the Tigers last time, they hit 300, which means they were, the balls they were putting in play were going for hits almost a third of the time. Last night, his bat bip was down to 176. Huge difference there. What could contribute to that? The ground ball percentage. The ground ball percentage, he was only at a 36.8% ground ball percentage in his first start. This start, he's at a 58.8% ground ball percentage. So yeah, getting those ground balls was huge for him. Uh... He cut down on the fly balls. Last game, it was the fly balls that was killing him. He was at a 47.4% fly ball. Last night, only a 17.6% fly ball. So, yeah, that was a huge difference. They even hit the ball harder last night. In his first start, their hard hit percentage was only 21.1%. Last night, it was 41.2%. So when they were making contact, they were making hard contact. But maybe they're hitting it right at someone, you know, different situations, right? And they're hitting it on the ground more. And uh, you can handle a hard-hit grounder much better than you can handle a hard-hit line drive. So, yeah, so that is what was working for him last night. He was throwing about the same mix of pitches. He was 45.7% fastball in his first start, 46.4% here. The slider was 22.3% in his first start. 24.7% here. Uh, so he laid off the changeup a little bit. He was throwing the changeup a little more. I think uh, Hamilton and Rosie were talking that his velocity seemed a little down. If you actually go all the way back through last season and look at the game log 
uh, up until last night. It is the lowest fastball velocity, average fastball velocity of any of those starts. It was at 92.1 was his average velocity. Uh, everything, if you average everything out from last season to through this season, he was at 92.7 average velocity. So he was down a little bit. Maybe it's just the start of the season. Uh, maybe it's something mechanical with his stride or his follow-through or something like that. We'll see if that velocity gets back up to around 93, uh, where he kind of was averaging last season. The change of velocity was also down a little bit. So maybe that does kind of show that uh, he's he's a little cool to start the season, right? The arm isn't at full strength yet. Maybe, maybe, uh, or maybe he's worked on his changeup grip. I don't know. Maybe that's why the changeup's a little bit slower. So... That's what's going on with Zach Plesak. Great start. Also, the plate discipline. Let's keep digging into fan graphs. Why not? Because the numbers are interesting. The plate discipline numbers between his first start in Detroit and this one. Outside the zone swing. O swing percentage. So this is how many times a batter swung at a pitch outside the zone. Only 32% in his first start of the season. Up to 42.3% this start. So a big, big difference. Also, outside the zone, contact was down. Last time, when they did swing outside the zone, they were at 76.5% contact. This time, only 54.5% contact. Even inside the zone, swing percentage. They were at 96.6% contact in his first start when they were swinging inside the zone, the Z contact. Last night, only 74.2%. That's awesome. That's awesome. The total contact percentage drops from 89.1 to 66. His first pitch strikes were way up from 57.7 in that first start to 87%. The best first strike percentage over the last two seasons. So yeah, big, big difference from Zach Plesak in his first start to his second. He said in one of his interviews, I don't know if it was pregame or uh, I think it was his pregame interview because they were talking about it during the game. And he was saying how he did not come out with the fire. He was kind of stuck in a little bit of a spring training hangover in his first start. Like He was excited for the opening weekend, but he just didn't bring the heat like he, like he knew he could. And for the second start, he realized, okay, all that tinkering, all that working on stuff from spring training, that's done. This is the regular season. I got to get it done. And he absolutely got it done last night. So... That's the next storyline. The last storyline, let's just talk briefly about Ahmed Rosario. So Ahmed Rosario gets the start in center field, gets the start leading off the game. And the second batter of the game, Candelario, really challenged him. Hits one 397 feet to dead center, 103.8 exit velocity. Uh, it has an expected batting average, right? We've talked about this before. So based on the launch angle and the exit velocity and different ballparks and averaging that all out, this ball is expected to be a hit 76% of the time. It had an expected batting average of 7.60. Ahmed Rosario did the thing that outfielders can't do, especially center fielders. He took his first step in. He actually took a step in, does a little shuffle, realizes the ball's over his head, and breaks back on it. He did a good job of tracking it. Once he figured out what was happening, he does a good job of tracking it, and he extends his arm, doesn't leap, 
but definitely reaches up and grabs the ball before it has a chance to hit off the wall, makes the catch in center field. Uh, I was proud of him. I, I was proud of him and how he was able to track that ball down and run it down. And uh, it was great to see him get challenged that quickly, that into the start. I, I can't remember actually another fly ball to center field, to be honest. I, I don't know how many outs he actually made out there in center field. But to get challenged like that and to be able to come up with it, those are the kind of catches I was worried about. I was sure he could catch a normal fly ball. But going back to the wall like that, uh, that was something that... Uh, that I thought would take him a little bit of time to figure out how to do. And he did it. He did it on that fly ball. So Francona said it's going to be an adventure with him. There's going to be growing pains, but we're going to ride it. We're going to see what happens. And then he leads off the game with a single, which is great to see. Like, to be able to come up, it was not, uh, it was his only hit of the day. And to be honest with you, let me go to the, uh, the player breakdown here. Being your leadoff hitter, you would think you'd be someone that would work the count a little bit, right? Maybe try to work a walk. Well, Ahmed Rosario saw the least amount of pitches of any Indians hitter. He only saw eight pitches the entire game in four at-bats. And uh, yeah, and so he had a hit and a strikeout. Uh, he did put three balls in play. Uh, so yeah, eight pitches. Ahmed Rosario is not messing around. He is up there swinging. So Will that translate as a leadoff hitter? I don't know. But last night, he got the job done, scores the first run of the game. Uh, just to let you know who was really battling last night, Fermil Reyes saw 23 pitches. The only Indians hitter over 20 pitches. The next closest would be per Roberto Perez at 19. So Fermil Reyes was really up there battling all night. Saw 23 pitches. Uh, yeah. As opposed to Ahmed Rosario in the same amount of at-bats who saw eight. Will Ahmed Rosario stick in center field? Will he stick as our leadoff hitter? Uh, time will tell. Time will absolutely tell to see how he continues to use these outfielders, these center fielders that he has at his disposal. All right, those are all the storylines from the game last night. There is some big MLB news going on. Joe Musgrove from the San Diego Padres threw a perfect game last night. It was kind of awesome. I was able, I checked my phone. I smartly checked my phone just as they were going into the ninth inning, and I was able to get the game on and check out what he did last night. Ten strikeouts for Musgrove in that game last night, and he was really, really working his slider. In fact, uh, if you go to the player breakdown on Baseball Savant, he threw the slider 34 times. He only threw his cutter 28 times. Threw the curveball 28, threw his four-seam fastball only eight times, the sinker seven, and the changeup seven. So he was going breaking ball really, really hard against these Texas hitters. And uh, the slider was effective. The slider had a 47% CSW. His total CSW on the day was 35 uh, they actually, uh, when he did go to the four seam or the changeup, they were on it. They were not whiffing at that pitch very often. They whiffed eight times on the slider. And that's why when I jump back over to the illustrator and I look at his pitch results, he has a ton of strikeouts from off-speed pitches. Almost all his uh, strikeouts. One sinker got him a strikeout. Everything else is the slider. 
uh, breaking way across the, sl- the zone. One slider would be at the foot of the left-handed batter. I'm, I don't know if that was into a lefty. It was a Nick Solak struck out on that pitch. So I have no idea who he is. I have no idea who some of these hitters in the Texas Rangers lineup are. We'll see when we face them. Curveball down, change up down, a few in the zone, a few curveballs up in the zone, a slider in the zone. So yeah, it was his off-speed pitches that was getting Musgrove all his strikeouts. So congratulations to Joe Musgrove, the first no-hitter, the first perfect game of the 2021 season. More to come, and that leaves the Indians as the longest drought in between no-hitters. Lenny Barker's perfect game is the longest drought now uh, for any baseball team between no-hitters. We also have the longest drought for winning a World Series from 48. So that's fun. That's fun. Uh, We've got some things that we need to check off our Indians bucket list. And that's seeing a no-hitter or a perfect game. And that's bringing home a World Series title. Will 2021 be the year? Man, if Shane Bieber and uh, Plesak keep pitching as good as they're pitching, maybe one of them can get there. Although, doesn't it feel like these... It feels like these no-hitters never come from the ace, right? It's always from, like, the third or fourth guy in the rotation that just locks in. Uh, occasionally, you'll get an ace get one, but it really feels like it's uh, it's always someone you don't expect. And Musgrove's been a good pitcher, came over from the Pirates to the Padres this offseason. He's been a really effective pitcher for the Pirates, and I think he is fitting in very well in San Diego to start the season. So that's your big MLB news from last night. MVP for the day. I almost, almost, I was tempted to give it to Eddie Rosario. And you say, why Eddie Rosario? Well, Eddie Rosario is the one that almost made this entire game possible. Eddie Rosario, if he does not beat out that double play in the first inning, none of this happens, right? Jose Ramirez is on first. Ahmed Rosario is on third. Eddie Rosario hits a ground ball. He's able to leg it out. They get Jose Ramirez at second. He beats it by a step. I'm telling you, a step at first base, which lets Ahmed Rosario score. First run of the game, RBI for um, Eddie Rosario. And then that brings Fermil Reyes up against Holland, and he gets the big two-run home run. So Eddie Rosario, in theory, literally... It, the inning doesn't happen without that hustle right there. However, when Fermil Reyes planted that ball in center field, 446 feet, he became the MVP for the day. Absolutely. So a great game for Fermil Reyes. He actually had four hard-hit balls on the day, including that single and the two home runs. So big guy Fermil Reyes gets MVP for the day. All right. That is everything from this game. Coming up tomorrow, we are going to run it back with that Sunday matchup we had in Detroit. It's going to be Aaron Savali on the mound for the Cleveland Indians and is going to be Scooble taking the ball again for the Tigers. Scooble pitched pretty good against us his first outing. If you remember, we finally got to the Tigers' bullpen and unloaded for nine runs in that win. So we'll see what we can do against Scooble the second time seeing him and see if we can keep this little win streak we got going. Let's see if we can keep it rolling through the whole weekend and into the White Sox series coming up next week. Uh, Tomorrow is going to be 
uh, or tomorrow is going to be Savali. Sunday is going to be Logan Allen getting the start. Urania for the Tigers is going to be pitching. Looking at his uh, 0-1 record and 15 ERA, I'm guessing it did not go well for him against the Minnesota Twins in his last start. So Logan Allen is going to get another chance out there to start. Will they piggyback him again? That will be something we keep our eye on because, in theory, Bieber could pitch that first game in the White Sox series. With that off day, it sets him at his normal, you know, five days, pitching every five days. Or will they let McKenzie pitch that, figure why push anybody to start the season and uh, and pitch McKenzie in that White Sox series? McKenzie's getting a start here at some point. He is going to get a start at some point. Maybe they pitch him in game two, and then that sets Plesak up on his normal rest. So it could be Bieber in game one and then McKenzie in game two and then Plesak Savali to finish out the White Sox series. So we'll keep an eye on what Francona decides. But today it's a 6-10 game starting a little early. Keep an eye on that 6-10 game, Savali against Scooble. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Cleveland. It was the Indians 4, the Tigers 1. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Aaron Savali and that game. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can now email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Cleveland Baseball Morning.